Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode number 163 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you, we're recording this on Sunday evening, August 25th. And what does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? We are into the first week of college football season. Week zero was last weekend, but now the stage is set for one of Duke's most anticipated games ever, uh, a date in Atlanta at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium with Alabama, uh, your number two team and probably one of the best programs out there. Uh, but before we get all that, we're going to preview that. We also have a nice special interview uh, with about one of our alums. But before that, I'm Donald Wine. I'm the captain of this ship this weekend. Uh, I am coming to you from D.C. as I normally do. Uh, I also have my two co-hosts with me first in Durham. I think you're back in Durham, Sam Klein. That's right. I returned this morning. We have class. We're, we're back in session tomorrow. School tomorrow. But as you mentioned, Donald, all of us will be uh, in Atlanta this weekend for for the big game. Uh, so very much looking forward to seeing the two of you and seeing Duke football again. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And for those of you out there, uh, we, we were talking about doing a uh, a tailgate or a meetup of some sort. It is going to be a meetup. We just don't know where that meetup is going to be. Uh, we're going to talk to our resident AT alien. I'll bring him in right now. Jason Evans, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Uh, like you guys, I am so excited for football season to kick off and get us ready. Yeah, this is, let's just get right into it. Okay. So uh, years ago, uh, Duke made the ACC championship game uh, in 2013. It was one of those seasons that we all remember. It'll want, be one that will live forever in Duke football minds. And a team was watching. It was Alabama. And also a stadium was watching. And that was the now Mercedes-Benz Stadium as it was being built. The Chick-fil-A Classic kickoff uh, is one of those games that usually pits two of the best teams in college football between the ACC and the SEC. Well, they decided that in 2019, the 150th anniversary of the, of the start of college football, that marquee matchup will beat Duke versus Alabama. And fast forward to now, we are less than five days away from that game happening at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It will be Saturday afternoon. And... Guys, obviously, there's a lot we can talk about with uh, Alabama. They're the number two team in the country. They uh, are coming off a final loss in the college football playoff championship to Clemson. They are still favored to return to said football game for the third time in a row or fourth time in a row. Uh, and now we get to open up our season with that major test uh, with a team that has lost uh, its, its quarterback, Daniel Jones, and a lot of guys from uh, both sides of the ball. But a team that will be looking to make a statement and try to show America that they are a team to reckon with this season. I'll start with you, Jason. Can we do it? Oh man, really? You're going to ask me that question? <laughs> you have. I, I want to, to do it, Donald. Did you are. have to ask it with that exact phrasing? Yeah, I did because I want to see how optimistic Jason really is. Uh, uh... Uh, I, I I hate be to real say with this. it. Be real with it. I, no, I don't think we can win this game. Yeah, I don't either. But <laughs> I mean, we're a thirty-five point underdog. I, I, I will say this. I mean, look, let's let's be clear. It's not like Duke has never faced a team like Alabama before. We we play Clemson with some degree of regularity, and it's clear from last year's national championship game 
Clemson belongs on the same field with Alabama. In fact, Clemson was better than Alabama last year, and many experts think Clemson will be better than Alabama this year. So Duke has faced this caliber of team before. That said, I mean, like it's not like we've been super competitive with Clemson. Sometimes we'll stay close with them for a half. Um, but typically, and I think this is kind of what's going to happen in this game, you know, typically maybe we were we we contain them a little bit on defense, that our defense rises up and doesn't let let the game get out of hand early. The offense usually struggles to get much yardage against a team with these kind of athletes, this kind of size, this kind of speed. I mean, the thing about Alabama is, uh, you know, not only are they huge, not only are they all the size of NFL players, but they're all the speed of NFL players because they're all NFL players. <laughs> um, and and Duke just isn't used to that kind of thing. I mean, look, we're as Duke fans, we are thrilled and excited and over the moon that Daniel Jones was the number six pick in the NFL draft. I, I mean, I I don't uh, I may be wrong. Duke did not have another player drafted. Joe Giles Harris people thought might get drafted, but we had one guy drafted last year. The projections are, and I don't think we have anyone on the roster right now. I could be wrong. Who's projected to be drafted? You know, maybe some of these guys will rise up and be sixth, seventh rounder. You know, every so often, Jameson Crowder was a third rounder, I think. You know, so Duke gets guys drafted every now and then. But let's be clear about Alabama. This is a team that probably has a minimum of six first round draft picks on their team. And I'm not talking like over the course of the next few years. I mean, next year's draft. There will be probably six guys from Alabama taken in the first round of the draft. And or at least again, the first two rounds, like easily. Oh, for first sure. Two rounds. Oh, first two rounds, probably more like eight guys or so. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and the other crazy thing is, like, again, we're all thrilled. Daniel Jones was number six. Alabama's got two guys who could easily go number one. Everyone knows about the quarterback, Tua Tagovailoa, or Tagovailoa. I can't even pronounce it. Tagovailoa. Great. I believe it's. I believe it's actually Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa. Yeah. There's a Tua. there's an imaginary. Dude, his name is Tua. So Tua could go number one, but the guy that people think is probably going to go number one is Jerry Judy, who's their wide receiver. I can't remember the last time a wide receiver went number one in the NFL draft. I'm not sure it's ever happened. I could be wrong. I'm not an NFL draft expert, but it's been a long, long time. Jerry Judy may be the best college wide receiver that we've seen since, I don't know, Julio Jones, probably even maybe even Calvin Johnson. Calvin, Yeah, Calvin Johnson. Guys like that, Michael Crabtree. I mean, there were some. Jerry Judy is one of the greatest wide receivers in college football history, and Tua is going to be passing to him. I, I don't even want to think about how. I don't know how Duke contains that. So, um, so let me yeah. interrupt. And before I bring Sam in, uh, I set you up. So I'm going to give you a softball. And here's the deal. We know that this the, the odds are stacked against us, but what are you looking for from Duke on Saturday to have you come away and say, hey, we actually didn't play too bad or we actually, you know, impressed in this area? What are you looking for us to do uh, on Saturday that you that will give you some optimism for the season throwing this game out of the window? For me, I I, I want to see us move the ball a little bit. I, I know we're not going to score a lot of points. But I'd like to to see Quentin Harris establish himself as someone who's capable of of playing fairly high level college football at the quarterback position. We all know quarterback's the most important thing. Um, I'd like I'd like to see 
Duke maybe control, uh, you know, Alabama's offense a little bit, not just let them automatically march down the field. Um, I mean, it sounds silly to say something like this, but if, if it's a 20 point game, I will consider that a, a big success for Duke. Hey, let's say, you know, like 38 to, to 20, I think would be huge for Duke and would, would show me that this is a, a pretty darn good Duke team, one that's certainly capable of getting to a bowl game. Sam, what do you think? I think, well, first of all, if Duke only loses 38 to 20, that'll be a huge victory given that the line, I think, is somewhere in the 30s. and Like 35. And, 35. Wouldn't, and, and wouldn't be surprised if it climbs more before we kick off on Saturday afternoon. Um, so, yeah, if Duke gets within 20 points of Alabama, that would be, that'd be incredible and, and would not just signal likely bowl team. That would be a 8-9-10 win team here for Duke. The, that, uh, sorry, just to keep that in perspective, back in 2010, when we played Alabama at Wallace Wade, they were coming off a national championship. We were not nearly as good as we are now, and we were only a 28 point underdog. Now we are much better football team now than we were back then. But the fact that we are still a 35 point underdog to Alabama shows you how good Alabama really is. And actually, since you brought it up, I did want to recall back to that Alabama game in 2010. I believe Duke played Stanford back in 2012, and Stanford wasn't quite at Alabama's level, but was still, at that point, one of the five or six best programs in in all of college football. And Duke scheduled these, these early season games against these real powerhouses. As I recall, when they scheduled that Alabama game, it was they had signed it before Alabama was back rolling under Nick Saban but mm-hmm. regardless Duke was now scheduled to play some of the very best teams in college football early in the season and the thing that hurt them in playing those games was not that you know that they not just that they were overmatched but that the coaching staff didn't really prepare the players at those games and it took them more time to recover so to follow on, I, th- I think Jason was looking a little bit more at what the players are going to be doing on the field and how much success they have. I'm going to be looking at the coaching staff and the way that they manage substitutions and and bringing in second string guys and letting not letting the first teamers stand out there for taking a beating. Uh, not to say that that you know that this duke team isn't going to be good I, we don't really know yet there, there's a lot of there are a lot of new guys in in new positions that we need to see on the field and and see how they interact with each other but i want to see the coaching staff make a concerted effort to get as many guys onto the field as possible so that we don't have that prolonged or extended hangover effect um that we have seen in in years past when duke has played these these juggernaut teams. Um, I think we mentioned last week that one of the nice things is that Duke has just two games after Alabama before having a bye week. So they have a little bit more recovery time, but um, still want to see how well the coaching staff manages the personnel in that area. God, so, it, sounds so aw- it sounds so awful to say, hey, I hope we come out of the game not injured, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's that's just what it is. Uh, Duke is not by any means like an FCS program the way that they they played perhaps at the beginning of of Cutcliffe's tenure or, or certainly in the Ted Roof era. But relative to an Alabama, a Clemson, um, you know, basically those two programs at this point in college football, it is um, 
it, it, it's that stark the difference between most uh, college football teams and and where those guys are. So honestly, taking care of yourselves is to me the most important thing. So I want to even go back further. You were talking about this. We were talking about this game in 2010. Now I don't know if you guys remember how that came about, but it came about. We actually signed a deal to play Alabama back. I want to say in 2006. We were going to play them in 2007 in Tuscaloosa, and then the follow-up game was going to be in 2010 in Atlanta at the old Georgia Dome. And in the process of that game, we played in Tuscaloosa. Then right after that, that was Ted Roos last year. He got fired. And we brought in – I'm sorry, 2006, whatever. So at that point, we bring in Cutcliffe, and one of the first things Cutcliffe says is, that game is coming to Durham. We're not playing at at the Georgia Dome. We're not outsourcing our home and home to get more fans and make it another road game. We want, I want our program and our fans to become used to playing big teams, big games in big places, and even having them at home or going on the road and playing them. And this was the start of, of revitalizing the Duke football culture that, and that he's done so well uh, over the last 12 years. So fast forward to now, we're in this moment where we are playing a big time game. If you think about it before college football kind of reorganized the game to have a week zero and have Miami and Florida play last week, this past weekend, they made that this game was going to kick off college football's 150th season. That means that they were putting this marquee matchup front and center. And I think what I'm looking for on Saturday is for our players to not be, to not shy away from that moment, to go at them. They may not win, but I would want them to go after it. I want them to go, towards you know i i don't want them to be scared of alabama i don't want them to say oh we're playing you know an nfl team uh football team i want them to go at them as they have in a lot of these other games what where they may not have won you see the fire you see the competitiveness you see the coaching staff coaching them as if they can win this football game they may not do it but i want them to go down swinging essentially and on saturday we're going to have a lot of fans there alabama is going to have the the run of the place but there is going to be a bunch of people in Duke Blue who are excited about this game, excited about this season, and excited about this moment. Everybody from the the, the equipment managers to the to the coaching staff to the players to the fans, let's embrace this moment. Let's have fun with it because we really don't have any pressure. All the Yo, pressure is on Alabama. Hey, let's hear it for the equipment staff. All right. Yeah. yeah. And shout out the video team. This episode of the DBR podcast is brought to you by those fine gentlemen from Bird Campbell, PA. Those guys with law offices in Florida and in Texas for all your business legal needs. We love them and we hope that if you are in those areas and are in need of services, contact them at birdcampbell.com. That's B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. You guys know the drill. Bird Campbell means business. Okay, guys, our second part of our all football uh, program this week, uh, we're actually going to talk about one of the alums. We have talked about him, uh, the fact that he's missing from the squad, and that is the sixth pick in the 2019 NFL draft, Daniel Jones. He went to the New York Giants, and in this preseason, he has been a star. He has really performed well, and a lot of 
Big Blue, uh, as they as the Giants fans call themselves, has been absolutely enamored with how he's been playing. So we want to get dig a little bit further and see how they actually think what they actually think about Daniel Jones and his prospects to not only play, but maybe eventually become the full time starter uh, up at MetLife Stadium. So uh, Jason, just a few minutes ago, sat down with Ed Valentine. He's the editor of Big Blue View, our sister blog for the New York Giants at SB Nation. And here's what he had to say. So Edward Valentine, editor of Big Blue View, the New York Giants go-to spot on the internet and uh, and podcaster extraordinaire. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I want to start by asking you, give me your impression of what we've seen thus far in the preseason from former Duke quarterback and the number six pick in the draft, Daniel Jones. Well, I just want to know, you know, how, how, how soon can we put him in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> you, you know it, let, let's put it this way it's it's been a really good start for the kid the kid's been ever since you know i saw him in the first practice of of rookie mini camp and it's never looked too big for the kid he's always looked like a pro quarterback he's never looked like he's been in over his head um you know, I think that that people are excited. People are there are people calling for him to start week one and and all of that. And that's not going to happen. But it it's been a nice start for the kid. It's been comforting to see that that the kid that the kid looks like he belongs. So in a second, I'm going to ask you to tell me what's impressed you the most, poise, accuracy, arm strength. But before we get to that, I want to go back in time. Uh, to the NFL draft, um, because you and I spoke before the draft, and we were talking about, hey, maybe they'll take Daniel Jones in the teens or so. When they grab him at number six, tell me what you thought, and uh, tell me what the giant community thought. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's put it this way. I was very surprised. I was not surprised at all that if the Giants were going to take a quarterback, that it was going to be Daniel Jones. You and I, as you said, you and I talked about this before the draft, and it just made too much sense. When you look at the other quarterbacks in the draft, you look at the connections between you know, Eli Manning and Daniel Jones with David Cutcliffe, with uh, with David Morris, I think from QB Country, who who happens to be the personal quarterbacks coach for both Eli and Daniel Jones, just all of the connections between the two, and and all of the attention that the Giants paid, the similarities between Manning and Jones, just in in personality and and style, you know, Jones is. Largely, Jones is Eli with 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 better legs, you know, with better wheels. So it's uh, it just made too much sense. Now, did I think they were going to do it at six? No, I didn't. I I thought it was going to come at seventeen, but uh, but and I think everybody else thought it was going to come at seventeen too. And I think that was really the jarring thing was that it came at six. 
Well, but don't you agree? I mean, if you if they think that this guy is the quarterback who can be their starter for many, many years, uh, six is not too high. No, it's not. You know, and 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 that's the thing. If if you're committed to a quarterback, if you think he's your guy, um, Scott Wright, who runs a, a wonderful uh draft website called draft countdown is a a good uh, a good resource and a friend of mine and he always says there is no price that's too high for a guy that you believe is a franchise quarterback whether that's the sixth pick whether that's trading you know however many picks you or players you have to trade to go up and get a guy no price is too high if you think he's your guy you can't leave the draft and, and and get cute and say, well, we think maybe we can take someone else at six and maybe trade back up to eight or nine and get him or try to wait until 17. You can't leave the draft and leave the guy you think is your next franchise quarterback on the table. You can't do it. So, so talk about the fans then for a second. And uh, there, there was, there were a lot of, uh, upset fans when the Giants took him at six. Has everybody come on board at this point? I think a lot of people have come on board. I don't think everybody's come on board. I think that what happens is people, you know, nobody got to watch a lot of Duke football. Let's let's be honest. You know, people weren't sitting around on Saturday afternoons and watching Duke football. But that's that's so, why you so, had me on. That's why, <laughs> so that's why that's, we did our thing, right? This is true. This is true. But, you know, it's uh, it's it's one of those deals where you watch one YouTube clip and you see an interception and, you know, he stinks or or you read one, you know, one draft analyst who thinks who says, oh, he's a third round pick. And you think, oh, he stinks. So he, I think that people, you know, you're, you're kind of Internet scouting or you're scouting based on what you read. And, and they didn't know. They just didn't know the kid. They know what other people said about the kid. And I think that people have been pleasantly surprised. Now, you know, I joked about the Hall of Fame, but is he, you know, can he carry what we've seen so far into the regular season? If and when he gets a chance, I don't know. I'm just, I think that people need to calm down a little bit and just be comforted by the fact that he looks like an NFL quarterback and he looks like he has a chance. So uh, that's going to bring me to the question I almost asked you earlier, and I told you I was going to ask this. What's impressed you the most from what you've seen thus far, preseason games, practices, and such? What, what is it about Daniel Jones that you go, man, that's the, that's the reason they picked him number six? Well, I, I can't give you one. I'm going to give you two. And, and the first one is the demeanor. And and I think you guys down there at Duke, you guys know what kind of person he is and, and the way that he conducts himself. The one thing that's been really, for me, inarguable for 16 years about Eli Manning has been the way that he's represented himself, the way that he's represented the franchise, the way that he has never, ever, thrown a teammate under the bus he will he has fallen on his sword lord knows how many times over the years 
taking the blame for things that weren't his fault to protect his teammates. And we saw that the first day of rookie minicamp with, uh, with Daniel Jones. He threw a deep pass to Darius Slayton, who's a rookie wide receiver, fifth round pick out of, uh, out of Auburn. Perfectly thrown deep ball to Darius Slayton. Wide open, hit the kid right in the hands, and he dropped it. Daniel Jones' response after practice was, I need to put the ball in a better spot to make it easier for him to catch. And 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 to me, you know, that is that kind of sums up the way he's been the whole time. He's he always deflects praise to his teammates. He he takes criticism away from his teammates. He conducts himself really well. You know, in in the media, he handled the whole Baker Mayfield thing really well the other day, you know, with with the whole, you know, blows my mind comments and all of that. He handled that really well. I've been very impressed by how he's handled himself. The other thing that has been very impressive on the field, the big question with Daniel Jones was, can he make all of the throws? and yeah, I had that question as well because you saw, you saw some throws, you you know, but the completion percentage wasn't great. You know, all of those things. There were the questions about the arm strength and could he throw the deep out and can he throw the deep, you know, the 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 nine route, the vertical ball. He can throw them all. Can he throw them the way Patrick Mahomes can throw them? No, but he can throw them all. He threw a tremendous 20 yard out the other night to Breton golden that in a really tight window that can't be thrown any better than that. He threw uh, in, in one of the preseason games, he threw a fade route into the corner for a touchdown and, and the ball can't be thrown any better than that. So I've been impressed by the arm strength and I've been impressed by the accuracy that, that he's shown so far. And, and those were huge questions that a lot of people had when you, when you simply looked at his numbers coming out of Duke. Okay. So uh, last question. Uh, we all know it's coming. Eli Manning will step aside at some point and Daniel Jones in all likelihood will be the, the starting quarterback for the New York giants. Uh, what's the best way to make that transition uh, in your opinion, is it something that happens during this season? Is it something that waits for next season? Uh, talk me through that process because that's that's going to be huge. I I don't know that there's a best way because because you're going to take that job away from Eli and kick screaming. And now when I say that. I don't mean he's going to make a public fuss. I don't mean he's going to make a scene. But he's a he's competitor. Too, he wants to play. But he wants that job. He he wants to stay as quarterback of the New York Giants. If he has his way, he will continue to play in the NFL after this season. But obviously, you draft a quarterback sixth overall. He's not going to sit forever. All right, and I think what's going to happen here in an ideal world, the Giants will be will be good this year. Eli will play good football. He'll play well enough. The Giants will win enough games 
that you get down to the last couple of weeks of the season, they're still in playoff contention, and he is still the quarterback, which pushes the transition to Daniel Jones into next year. You know, I can't see, I can't see how Daniel Jones is not the week one starter for the New York Giants in 2020. I don't see how that's not going to happen. What I see happening this year is if the Giants are good, if they stay in contention, if Eli stays healthy and plays well enough, you know, and plays well, he's going to play. The Giants are not going to Kurt Warner him. We, we've talked about that situation a lot around Big Blue View. When Eli was a rookie, Kurt Warner was the quarterback at the beginning of that year. But Kurt Warner was in his only season with the New York Giants. They had no allegiance to him. Right, totally Tom, different from Eli. <laughs> it, they were 5-4, and four and they were still in the playoff race. And Tom Coughlin just realized, he said, I don't care what our record is, we're not a playoff team. We're not good enough. We're not going anywhere the way we are now. We have to go to the rookie and and begin the process of going to the future. The Giants are not going to do that to Eli Manning. They're not going to do that to the longest tenured player in franchise history. They're not going to do that to a two-time Super Bowl MVP and, and a guy who they're loyal to. And maybe they've been loyal to him to a fault, but they're not going to do that to him especially after the last few years. If if they see that they have a shot at the playoffs, they're going to let it ride and see if he can take them there. So, but, but if they fall out of the race, they started one in seven a year ago. If they start one in seven this year, Daniel Jones is going to be playing. They started 0-6 in 2013. Same deal. You know, if they start badly, if they fall out of the playoff race, if it's obvious that they're not going to be good, the only thing that makes sense is for Daniel Jones to play. But but if they're in the playoff race, they're they're gonna stay with Eli and and see what and see what happens there. So so last thing, just really quickly, do you have any sense of what kind of relationship Eli and and Daniel Jones have at this point? I mean, I, I I'm guessing, in fact, I'm almost certain that they've met several times when the Manning brothers would, would come back um, to, to work with Coach Cutcliffe in the offseason, and clearly Cut's going to be working with his, um, with his QB as well. But, but is there any you know, sense around Giants land about the relationship they have? I think they're fine, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think they're out on the golf course all the time, you know, hanging out together. But, but I, I think they're fine. Um, there's no there's no sense of of unease between the two of them. I think they both understand the situation. You know, Eli is the past and for now the present. Jones is the future. And at some point this year he could be the present. You know, they they know what the situation is. Uh, you know, it and they're both I think I think this is another reason to be to feel good about Daniel Jones is I think they're both handling it very well. I, I don't see any tension between the two of them at all. I hope there's no tension because they're both wonderful human beings from everything that I've heard. And Eli Manning has had an incredible career, one that could very likely end up in the Hall of Fame. And we hope Daniel Jones can even come close to following in those footsteps. 
Ed Valentine, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about um, you know, what you've seen so far from Daniel Jones. We are wishing him the best. Uh, at Duke, we don't get that many high-profile players going on to the NFL. It is entirely possible that Daniel Jones is the highest-profile Duke football player in a couple, triple, three, four generations or something like that. So we're very excited for him, and uh, we really hope it works out for, for you and for him there at, uh, uh, at Big Blue View and, and with the Giants. Thanks again, well, fing- Fingers crossed. Thanks, Jason. Okay, we really appreciate Ed coming on the the DBR podcast and talking to us about uh, the life after Duke for Daniel Jones and life his initial life right now as a New York Giant. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Sam first. Sam, give me your takeaways from what you heard from Ed uh, about Daniel Jones and his prospects so far. So this is the first time that that I have heard from from our colleague Ed and. I just wanted to note what a perfect representation of the New York media it seemed like he was. He was <laughs> dogging, dogging on, <laughs> on on Duke football and Daniel Jones back in the summertime. And then fast forward to today when Jason opens the interview and asks him generally what the people are thinking about Daniel Jones. And his first reaction is, well, we're, we're looking forward to his Hall of Fame induction. I mean, that's <laughs> That's the... That is the famed New York sports media experience in a nutshell. Am I right? So um, I, I thought that was great. I, I think he he captured the 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 sort of two sided element here. Um, sort of explained well how Giants fans were feeling initially. I think that you know, obviously, we're going to see more about the the Duke guys than than college football and NFL media sort of generally. But I felt like after the draft, one of the biggest takeaways was everybody being shocked that the Giants took Daniel Jones so high. And as Ed said, uh, it doesn't matter where you take your franchise quarterback if you think he's your franchise quarterback. And it's clear that the the Giants do think that that Jones has that potential in him. So they were excited to take him with the sixth pick. Um, we haven't seen him play in a actual regulation NFL game yet. We've seen him in preseason where, as Ed pointed out, it seems like he's fitting in and and looks the part, so to say. Uh, but we'll see when he actually gets into a real game. And then, honestly, I thought that his comments about how the Giants handle the transition were really interesting, especially when he said that he fully expects Daniel Jones to be the starter by the time next season rolls around. So one year from now, It'll be no question that he's the starter, but Eli Manning is still there. Um, and and as he said, they're going to have to manage the relationship with Eli Manning being the longest tenured member of the organization. They're going to have to manage the that breakup with him, perhaps uh, you know as well as, say, the Colts did with, <laughs> with Peyton Manning, getting lucky that, that they were able to trade Peyton Manning uh, right at the right time to draft Andrew Luck and... and you know, sidebar to that, of course, is the sad news this week that Andrew Luck had to retire um, after such a such a short time in the NFL. But um, that's going to be an interesting challenge for the Giants. A good one, I'd say one that, you know, GMs are looking forward to saying, well, we have one great old quarterback and we need to figure out how to transition him away and, and bring in the great new quarterback. I'd say that's that's a good problem to have. Right. Yeah, and here's the thing. I 
you know, the last question that Jason brought up was about whether they like each other, what kind of situation is it in the locker room if, if it's something where they're actively rooting against each other or whatever. And it's interesting because this reminds me in a, in a, not in a complete way, but slightly of the situation where you have Brett Favre and they drafted uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the, the Green Bay Packers. And just the whole, you know, question of when's he going to play? Is he going to play is, and of course, another veteran who is, uh, you know, hall of famer, uh, who is going to, you know, as, as Ed say, uh, He's not going to, he's going to go out, he's going to go out screaming. Like, like he's not going to give it up so easily. And I would expect that Daniel Jones may be the starting quarterback in 2020, but Eli Manning may also be a starting quarterback in 2020. It just may not be with the giants. Uh, and, and so that will be interesting to see how that plays out. And like Ed said, uh, the media there is fickle. The, the fan base is fickle in the sense that if they start losing, then changes are going to be made and there'll be more pressure for uh, for Daniel Jones to get into the lineup. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. He's not going to be starting week one, I, d- I don't think, unless something drastic happens between now uh, and the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I think I, I like what I'm seeing from him so far, and I think he has been even keeled, and I think that's the best way to manage the expectations, the big expectations that are hanging over his head. Uh, and, and placed on him by uh, so much uh, of the fan base there in New York. Uh, so, Jason, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, a couple quick things I wanted to say, and then I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, the first thing is I, I, I love where Ed Valentine said, no price is too high. I think that's, that is 100% right. There are a lot of people getting hung up on, a lot of Giants fans getting hung up on, oh, they took him number six. They could have taken him number 12. They could have taken him 15, 17, you know, oh, what are they doing going all the way up and getting him at number six? Quarterback is too important. A, a starting quarterback who is, you know, competent or better than competent is the most valuable commodity in all of sports, in my opinion. Um, and if the Giants thought that Daniel Jones could be a good NFL quarterback, then Number six is a bargain. Number six is a huge bargain. Like Ed said, no price is too high. Uh, I, I I like the fact that that they're sort of, you know, easing him in slowly. That they have someone else to, you know, Eli Manning is a a, a great NFL quarterback, has been for a long time, and it allows Daniel to come in slowly. That said, man, the expectations on this guy are sky high because of his preseason. I mean, folks, if you haven't been paying attention, I mean, Daniel Jones has completed like 80, close to 80% of his passes. He's not throwing any interceptions. He's had, uh, he's had some fumbles, although some of that is the Giants offensive line allowing guys to get in on him. But um, Daniel Jones has been, boy, everything you could possibly hope for in, in a, uh, in a quarterback in the preseason thus far. And, And I got a great stat for you all. Um, do you guys know the name of Mike Junkin? I do not, but you're going to tell us. Okay. Mike Junkin in 1987 was a linebacker from Duke who was drafted number five in the NFL draft. Mike Junkin went to the Cleveland Browns with a number five pick in the 1987 NFL draft. He is the only Duke player in history to go higher than Daniel Jones who went number six. Even the great Sonny Jurgensen was not 
drafted higher than that. <clears throat> Sonny Jerkins was actually a fourth round draft pick. I, I bring this up to point out a the expectations in Daniel Jones, but b especially based on his preseason, Daniel Jones may be the highest profile. Why am I even saying maybe? Daniel Jones is the highest profile Duke player in our lifetimes in the NFL. I think there's little question about that. And the opportunity that he has not only to, you know, to be a good player, but to to make a, a, a lasting impact on the Duke brand is really significant. If Daniel Jones is good, it it may serve to elevate all of Duke football in a way that none of us really imagined. Do, do you got, am I wrong about that? No, I mean, look, I remember when uh, Lincoln Tomlinson was drafted by the Lions first round a few years ago, and that was the first time a Duke player had gone the first round. He was the 28th pick. Yeah, and he went, and that was the first time a Duke player had been in the first round since 1987. And I remember what a big moment that was and how everyone really looked at that as uh, the onset of, hey, Duke football is here, and maybe this program is better than we thought. And at that time, everyone was still thinking, we, you know, they're being led by a coach who's considered a quarterback guru, and we haven't seen that coach or that quarterback yet. Maybe Daniel Jones is that guy, and if he is that guy, that means that's not you're saying right. It's going to help the program, but it's going to help recruiting. It's going to help the stature. It's going to help that you know. Whenever someone says Duke football, people don't like roll their eyes. I mean, those all matter, and and I think that is why it's probably the pressure on Daniel Jones is so, is so thick and added to fact that he's in the biggest media market in America uh, and the biggest city in America, he's playing for their team. And I think that is exactly why uh, this was really a big deal and why a lot of Duke fans, whether they're giants fans or not, are going to be watching. And you know what, to circle back to something that Ed said during the interview, I'm glad that we have a, an alum like, like Daniel Jones to be shouldering that load that you guys just described that he's drafted as high as he was and that he is playing in New York because as Ed pointed out, it seems like Jones is as, as poised and as uh, committed to the team as, as anybody could reasonably expect for a rookie. And we knew that that was the case. It feels like he's carried all of those positive qualities to his, to his NFL life. So uh, I, for one, am, am really looking forward to seeing him succeed uh, here in the NFL and, and with the Giants, hopefully in the near term. Well, and, and I'll, I'll add one other thing to that. Um, I'm glad you pointed that out. And I love that, that Ed spent so much time talking about, you know, the positive attitude and acting like a professional. And there was a piece of me when Ed was talking about it, it was like, dude, you know, Winning games is what matters. You know, putting up the good stats is what matters. He could be as professional as anybody ever. And if he throws a pick in his first game, Giant fans are going to boo like, you know, no tomorrow. But that said, I think it matters because you can earn some goodwill from your teammates, from the coaches, from the media guys who are there every day and who see what goes on. You earn some of that goodwill. It's going to give you a little extra leeway if the t- if everything doesn't go as easy and as wonderfully as you'd like, um, having being a good guy can can help you get over the hump a little bit more than if you were a prima donna, because goodness knows there are a number of prima donnas out there. Okay, guys, we have come to the part of the show where we do our parting shots, and Jason, I'm going to leave with you because I think we're going to get into a little basketball. 
We are. Basketball time. I can't believe it. Hey, I want to talk to folks very quickly about Team USA, which is uh, just a, a couple, actually just a week or so away from starting play in the 2019 FIBA World Cup. And, and it's exciting for Duke fans because there are two, count them, two Dukies who have made the Team USA uh, um, World Cup team, Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics and uh, Mason Plumley of the um, of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and, you know, it, great for them. Um, that said, I, I, I don't think I'd be going out on a limb to say that this is a this is a far, far weaker U.S. team than, than we ever saw when Coach K was coaching them. Um, a number of high-profile players have opted not to participate in this team. Um, all the basically all the like the first team, second team, all, all NBA guys had sort of said, "Oh, I might play," and then one by one they all said, "No, no, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play." And and then even as we, um, even as they, you know, even as the team sort of got getting close to camp and things like that. It was like, it was like this cascade of, you know, the, the best guy would say, Nope, not me. Then the next best guy would say, Nope, not me. And, and really there are people who say this is the B team. This is really the C team, maybe even the C minus team. Um, uh, you know, I love Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley doesn't start for the Denver nuggets. And yet uh, it's entirely possible. He's going to start and play a very significant role for, for team USA. Um, uh, Jalen Brown, a part-time starter for the Boston Celtics, uh, you know, I could go on and on. Marcus Smart's on the team. He's not necessarily a full-time starter. Um, Derek White of the San Antonio Spurs is on this team. He's another guy. Miles Turner. These guys are. We. It's not even a team full of NBA starters. So, I, I, I hope they do really well. I'm. I'm hoping the Duke guys do really well. I think Jason Tatum has a chance to have a very, very big role on this team. I. I see Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell to me as the three best players on this team. And so Tatum can play a really big role for them. I think especially with his size, you may see him playing some power forward, trying to take advantage of, you know, the, the uh, versatility that, that the American big men have that other teams aren't going to really have. But I, I, I'm worried that it's going to be a tough world cup and it's uh, I, I think they're probably they're certainly the favorites to win the gold medal, but they're not the prohibitive favorites that they were when Coach K was there. Um, but I'm going to be watching very closely. I'm very excited about it, and I'm pleased that um, I, I always knew Jason was going to make the team. But but Mason Plumley, I think it's great for him. He, by the way, is the only guy who also won a World Cup gold medal. Who's he's a World Cup returnee. He's the only guy on this team who's played on a World Cup team in the past. In 2014, when Mason was still uh, you know uh, fresh from Duke. Um, Coach K took him on the team. Um, it was a very different team in 2014. I, I, Kyrie Irving was on that team, and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. It was a very different team USA when Mason was there last time. Yeah, I think the the one thing that we're looking for is, you know, Team USA, USA basketball has always been that team that, uh, you know, back in the day they'd have the best stars and they'd dominate. And now, you know, there was a point when right before Coach K took over the the program – where guys were opting out, they were, you know, not taking it seriously, you know, they weren't bringing the best players and it showed. And one thing that coach K instilled was they, uh, I remember when he first came onto the team and, and took over as coach, they lost a game against Greece. And they basically said, look, we're going to have a program and you're going to commit to this program. And that means you're going to be in camp three summers out of four. And we're not going to ask much out of you, but we're just asking for a week every year for three out of four years. 
And those guys committed and they bought into it. And that's what brought this, you know, program back from, a, you know, I mean, people look at Team USA as invincible in some sorts when it comes to basketball. And Coach K brought that back. Now, just this past weekend, Team USA lost for the first time since 2006 against Australia in a World, in a World Cup warm-up match. Um, they, they play one more against Canada, and then they're off to the World Cup. But now people are already talking about, well, this team's not going to be able to do it. We've already lost the game. Now, I think that this team can still do it. Like you said, Jason, they still are the prohibitive favorite. They may just not be as runaway a favorite as they were if they would have had the best players. But the object of this is to make sure that when the dust settles – that everyone realizes that USA basketball has not gone anywhere and that even with a lineup that people would consider way subpar to what we could have put out, that they can still be the best team in the world. And that is going to be a big challenge for Pop. But, I mean, if, if Coach K is not leading this team, I think most people would agree that Greg Popovich is the guy that you trust the most. So uh, I, I think Pop will get it together. I think he'll get his team together and get these guys clicking so that when the when it's all said and done, that they are holding that gold medal. You know, hey, the one surprising thing to me is that um, is that Popovich hasn't figured out how to maintain that continuity that Kay seemed to really engender among the pros, uh, just because we know that Popovich sort of commands a lot of respect uh, among the, you know, among the NBA community generally. So I'm a little surprised that, that he wasn't able to cobble together a, a better roster, but that doesn't mean that USA, as you said, Donald, shouldn't still be favored in this tournament to take home the gold again. So I, I want to point out, and I think this has probably never happened to Team USA, um, the best player on the floor, the best player at the tournament, will not be on Team USA. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the freak, um, will will be playing Jason, can you... Can Jason, you, you got to say that again. one. You Jason, you got to try that one again. <laughs> I, no, I'm not. I'm not. Just, just give us his first name. Giannis. No, Giannis. It's Giannis. 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 Whatever. He's the G's freak. Why? I'm not. I'm not doing anything else with that. He's the <laughs> freak. You, you could have just. You could have just said the freak. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. Giannis. Go ahead. Giannis will be playing for Greece. He's the best player in this tournament. Unless maybe you could say that Nikola Jokic of Serbia is the best player in this tournament. And arguably the third best player in the best player in the tournament might be Rudy Gobert playing for France. Um, it's probably between him and Kemba Walker. But um, there, there are going to be games in this, you know, that Team USA is going to play where we won't have the best player on the floor. Especially the, Ser- the Serbia team. Serbia is really good. Serbia is going to put five legit NBA players in their starting lineup. And um, Nikola Jokic is is really, really good. Um, and in fact, I think one reason that Mason Plumlee could be really effective for Team USA is that he plays against Jokic every day in practice. So if there's anybody who knows um, how to defend that guy, it's it's probably Mason Plumlee. Um, he could be essential in, you know, when we play Serbia, because Serbia is probably the second best team to the to team USA. But uh, I, it's really unusual to see the Americans and go, oh, wait, and point at the other bench and say, they've got someone better than anybody on team USA. Donald, which of Rudy Gobert's nicknames do you prefer? 
the Stifle Tower or the French Rejection? The French Rejection. I like that one. You know, I'm more of a Stifle Tower guy. Jason? I, I like the Stifle Tower. I, I, it, it's awesome. All right. That, th- there you have it. It's settled. Um, Sam, why don't you give us your parting shot? Oh, my God. I totally just blanked. <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> Oh, we're not editing any of this out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess if we had to we have to make the people sit through Jonas a few times, then yeah, that's fine. Uh so for my parting shot here. <laughs> for my parting shot this week, uh, I wanted to direct Duke fans to the Duke Blue Planet page, which we I I I I'm sure we've said many, many times before pointing out how much good content they put up, but they've done a couple of fun uh, day in the life segments this summer with coaches, Nolan Smith and John Shire, uh, both of which ended with them coming home at the end of the day to hang out with their, with their newborn daughters, which was adorable. But uh, so Duke fans should check that out. There's a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff with the coaches working one on one with the players and hanging out with the equipment staff and all the all the kind of little things that I think fans who enjoy content like Duke Basketball Report probably also enjoy uh, that kind of stuff, too. So I really enjoyed watching those this summer. And and as always, I'm grateful that Blue Planet is there to sort of continually give us that that fans inside scoop that that I know that the three of us enjoy, and I'm sure many of the listeners do too. Yeah. I, I, we've talked about it over and over, but they're killing the game with it comes to content. And and it, this is no exception. So uh, I feel like every time I feel like you have to set a notification every time they post something. So you can immediately watch and react to it. Cause they're all really, really good. So, well, and, uh, and sometimes, sometimes they put up videos that are just like six or seven second little highlight reels, but then, and and so I'm used to looking at those just sort of as I'm scrolling through my social media. And then mm-hmm. occasionally they'll come out with one of these 10 or 15 minute sagas and I'll start watching it on the phone and be like, oh, wait, no, I need to. I need to not do this while I'm doing something else. Right, right. Yeah, they definitely do it, but uh, it, they all do them well. Um, okay, guys, I, I hope you ate dinner um, or lunch or breakfast whenever you're watching this or listening to this because I'm about to talk about chicken. Um, the chicken wars have begun, and I'm here to tell you on is it, this wait, Sunday Donald, night, is it not? Is it not begun the chicken wars have? Th- whatever you want to call it, however you want to pronounce it, however you want to say it, and in whatever wait, order. Sam, Sam, you have to do it in your Yoda voice. Begun to chicken wars have. I got you. I got you. Hold on. Hold on. Hold Go on. Ahead, yeah, I yeah. can. I I can do better than that. Go ahead. Begun the chicken wars have. Is that well, that was good? That not better. That yeah. was very good. Wow. Thank you, Sam. Are you? Hey, Thank are you. Are you normally this Yoda e, or is that something that you just summoned? Have you guys heard my Coach K? No. Well, we're gonna have to do it now before we get into chicken. <laughs> so, okay. So so here's here's Coach K uh, talking about Kyrie Irving. You know, he's just a really special player. You know, he, he, he's just, he's just such a player and just all the, all the heart. Oh my God. Um, Sam, oh my okay. God. Sam, you're not allowed to speak in your own voice anymore. I think you're gonna have to either do Yoda for the next episode, or you're gonna have to do coach K or you can switch however you want to do it. That's how it's going to work. Got, I've got Dick. You have one week to back. figure out which one you want to do. I have Dick. <laughs> If I do, but that, that one incredible. takes a lot more energy. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, back to chicken. Um, 
the thing that has been gripping the countryside and and damn it the entire world has been the emergence of the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Now, I am here to tell you guys that on this Sunday, we have found the cure for the common cold. We have found the the uniter among all dividers. We have found the glue that holds this country together. And it, my friends, is the Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich. It is incredibly good. I've had at least two so far. Uh, I tried to go again tonight, and on Sunday, they were out of not only chicken sandwiches, but the Popeye's was out of fries and onion rings as well, and they're out for most of the week. Now, we're talking about this tailgate on Saturday that we're going to do, this meetup. Anybody, anybody who brings me a Popeye's chicken sandwich is my friend for life. That, I'm just putting that out there. You're my friend for life. You, if At this meetup, you bring Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich. It, bring three because I know Sam and Jason are going to want are going to be hungry too. But I'm here to tell you guys: if you guys have not had the sandwich, you need to go out and find this thing so that you can also be one of those people that can walk out and cure the common cold because this thing is that good. I was in Boston earlier this week visiting some friends, and I got to go to a Red Sox game where. Uh, sidebar, I got to boo I got to boo Bryce Harper for the first time, which was good. a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Special. Oh man. What a it was, you know, it was really it was you know, I get it now. I understand now why was it like a was it like a weight lifted off your shoulders? Oh, so much. And I, have I told you guys, or do do you recall perhaps when Bryce Harper was called up back in 2012? This is like the first time he came up to the majors. My dad and I were at the game in Los Angeles, and if you go watch the highlights from Bryce Harper's first game, they cut to me like cheering for him. Um, so I'm, I'm like, <laughs> so you know, I'm part of the history there. Yeah. Um, and, and so then I got to go to the game and, and be sort of smug about it when he like grounded out to the pitcher. That was anyway, totally beside the point because I had the Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich at the Northeastern university student union building. And I have never had food in a student union building that was so delicious other than that which is served nowadays at the Broadhead Center on West Campus at Duke University. But the Popeye spicy chicken sandwich is, it, it was so memorable and so wonderful. Like every bite of it would, was, was just so perfect. The only it's sandwich phenomenal. that I've ever had, the only sandwich that I, that I truly remember is the one time I went to Dallas and had a brisket sandwich from the Pecan Lodge which mm-hmm. if you're familiar with it, you, if you know, you know, I think oh, is I one know. of those things. The, the Popeye spicy chicken sandwich is really, is really special. So, so uh, I'm, I'm already looking forward to my, to my next one. So uh, Sam, I don't want to be the one to tell you, but you, you went to the Northeastern university student unions, get your Popeye's. And if you were at Fenway park, you literally only had to walk a half a block because there was a Popeye's just across Yaki okay. way. So, so, <laughs> Or did you, know, you go it's there? It's funny you bring that up because we tried and they didn't have it. Oh, um, okay. We, my friend and I, <laughs> my friend and I went into the the famous, the infamous Popeyes. I think because that's the Popeyes where all the Red Sox were were eating the chicken after the games when they when they had that. I don't know how many years ago it was when they had the the bad end of the season when all oh, the yes. players mm-hmm. were eating too much chicken was yes. all from that Popeyes from across the street. Yep. So my friend and I actually went in there first and they said that they were out of the buns and maybe the pickles or something like they had run out of some of the ingredients for the spicy chicken sandwich. So we had to trek it all the way um, across the Fenway to Northeastern to get the spicy chicken sandwiches. 
Okay. So the only thing that that I want to say to conclude about this chicken wars is yes, it is that magnificent. There is one sandwich out there that I'm looking to try to compare to the cure for the common cold is what I'm calling it. And that sandwich that I'm waiting to try is the Bojangles spicy chicken filet biscuit with pimento cheese. I need to get this. I'm going to, I, I think I'm going to Charlotte in a couple weeks. And so my goal will be to have it there. I cause I want to try it in North Carolina. That's where it's going to be. I was going to say, don't y'all have a Bojangles in DC? We do have Bojangles in at Union Station, but it's not it's not the good one. Whenever you want to try something from Bojangles, I always recommend you go to an actual Bojangles, and those are far outside the city. So I'd rather go just – I'll be in North Carolina very soon, and when I do, I'm going to try the pimento cheese, Cajun filet, and then now we're going to have a full real comparison. But for now, the Popeye's chicken sandwich is the greatest thing of all time. Just, he, just opened a, a new uh, Korean fried chicken place here in Durham. Um, so Durham, more hip every day. Hey, uh, had had that. Next time I'm there. Too. Next time yeah, I'm there, yeah, we'll be yeah. going. Yeah, we'll 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 hit that up. You'll uh, right. I think I think you'll like it. All right. Well, on that hungry note, uh, that should end and conclude episode 163 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is not a chicken podcast. It is about basketball, even though we talked mostly about football. But I digress again. What what is it? What do we talk about here? We, we talk about a lot of things. And Duke basketball is one of them, in that, and we sometimes report in it. So there you go. Um, but this concludes episode 163. Again, Saturday, this Saturday in Atlanta, Duke versus Alabama. We will meet somewhere. We will post it on the Duke Basketball Report forums and let you guys know where we will be so you can come say hello and bring us all the chicken sandwiches we can possibly have in our lives. But until Donald, then. Donald, Donald, you might even tweet out where we are. I might even might. tweet it out. I might even let people know via the tweets. But, of course, the forums will also be a, a primary source of information. So stay tuned to that. But until then, for Jason, who has been lost somewhere in Atlanta, we will find him before the Saturday. And for Sam in Durham, I'm Donald in D.C. Thank you guys for tuning in. And Duke Band, take us home. <laughs>